conflict with me Famous scenes with drama queens and heroes Acted out there on the silver screen I Come grab a seat, the popcorn is on me Hello, welcome to Meet Me at the Movies, uh, Noel T. Manning II here, and let me just say right off the bat, uh, this is Greg Tillman, that's right, Greg Tillman, the general manager uh, and uh, the, the confidant who makes things happen back there uh, in, in uh, Studio B, uh, Master Control is actually, it's his last official show in the studio other than Smackdown, but we're not going to talk about political Smackdown, but Greg... We appreciate you, man. And so if there's any mistakes, just email Greg and we're gonna put his uh, email address at the bottom of the screen. Uh, we'll forward that to him, make sure he gets it. Now, uh, uh, a few months ago, we had a guy named Lawrence Topman. I call him Larry because he said I could as a guest and, and we got all of this mail that said we gotta bring him back, gotta bring him back and he's back. So Lawrence Topman, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Good to I'm see you. I'm glad to be back on this beautiful day. <laughs> Thomas Manning also joining us, who, uh, who did not join us uh, last time, um, and are wild and crazy. When, when we were trying to set this up, we said, Look, what do we want to talk about? And we had planned this a while back to talk about uh, biopics, uh, or as Howard Johnson says, biopics. So uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about some of yours, not some of your uh, we can't get into all of them because you've got so many, but um, before we went on the air, you were talking about, uh, you've got four subcategories, and I really love that because I'd never really heard about that before. Well, I think when you look at film biographies, the most obvious ones are very famous people from history, you know, Napoleon or Washington or whoever. Um, another category for me would be people from our own time that we think we know, but there's a lot more to the stories behind them than we really do know, even though they're in the media, we've heard their music, seen them in sports, whatever. The third kind, and I like this kind especially, is obscure people, people we have no reason to know, ordinary people, whose lives are really interesting and whom we would want to know about if we were exposed to their stories. That's the third one. And the fourth one is a psychological biography. I think that's a good category. It's not what happened to people, what did they accomplish, did they win something. It's what's going on inside their heads. You have to assume they're going to have interesting heads for that to happen. <laughs> or you and, hope, yeah, at least. <laughs> and if not, you run from the theater. But that's one of the, of the uh, kinds of movies that we're going to talk about a little bit later. I love that. I love that. Uh, and um, the first couple we're going to talk about, great double feature, uh, and this is actually one that was on Thomas's list as well, one of these films. Uh, and it is a historical figure that if, you, if you've got a penny, a copper penny or a $5 bill and you live in the United States, you probably have seen this person's picture, at least if you've looked at it. Well, you know, there's two kinds of historical biographies. Now we have a sub-subcategory here. Um, one is sort of legendary categories where you make people mythic and... Uh, one is a more realistic category where you try to get at what they did in their daily lives. And so the two movies I've chosen that go together naturally with this are Young Mr. Lincoln by John Ford from 1939 with Henry Fonda and Steven Spielberg's Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln. Yeah. One of those is an attempt to get him to be a larger-than-life figure. Mm -hmm. um, it was made just about the time we were considering what we would do in World no War II. Doubt, mm -hmm. And so, in a way, it's a patriotic film. Here's one of our national heroes. Here's a reminder of what makes America great. 
coming from nothing, raising yourself up by the own bootstraps theory, and becoming a great man. Uh, John Ford didn't say, when legend becomes fact, print the legend. That's a quote misattributed to him. But one of the characters in his movies did. It's from The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. And that's what Ford does. He prints the legend. Spielberg tried to get in a much more realistic, down-to-earth way of dealing with Lincoln and the crazy things that were happening in Congress day-to-day around him. Uh, Very much a picture of our time. He was a president trying to lead and fight with a divided Congress, the two sides of which hated each other bitterly. So that's really a picture about us and our time. And it was a very nuanced portrait of Lincoln that didn't make him out to be a myth or a hero mm-hmm. or some great statesman of incomparable nature. He was just a guy doing a job, a hard job, the best way he was able to do, and not always right. You, you talk about the kind of divided nation and uh, sides not working together, fighting each other, and I think that's even more relevant now, and we, we see that now when we look at, at politics. You, you, you cannot even carry on dialogue sometimes with someone who may be of a different party than you. And so that, I think that film is very relevant to, to this time, absolutely. Well, and his value in that film is as a mediator, as someone who can try to unite, uh, which the country now needs very desperately and seems unable to be able to get. Yeah, the, the casting in both of the films you talked about, just incredibly solid casting in both. I thought Daniel Day-Lewis and... And Henry Fonda, Henry Fonda whom we yeah. think of as like the quintessential American actor because he has that Midwestern accent and this kind of rugged, enduring quality, and he seems down to earth like a common man, but you can count on him. Uh, and Daniel Day-Lewis made Lincoln a little bit more of a reserved, slightly mm-hmm. detached figure who kept more to himself, but also had this same strength and ability to ride out storms and endure and get to where he needed to be. And both of those movies, I think, are revealing about Lincoln, but in really different ways. They were both films that appealed to um, audiences, but also to the critics and the awards groups once the the years, um, the year ended for both of those films as well. And I think that says something that they have artistic merit, Mm -hmm. but they also struck a chord with ordinary people who, one, maybe wanted to see a film about such a person, and two, respected the complexity and and interesting character at the center of it. Uh, I know many Southerners are still antsy about Lincoln. Um, I used to have lunch with a fellow who called him the devil. I mean, this is 150 years later. He was a bread-in-the-bone Southerner who felt that Lincoln had forced the South to attack the North at Sumter. Uh, We have a different view of what Lincoln is, Mm -hmm. but unless you feel that strongly about him, I think those pictures could certainly speak to you. Yeah, there's a, uh, there is some evidence that that Lincoln could have possibly been born in North Carolina. Uh, And there's an interesting little documentary that that covers that, that that maybe I'll I'll share with you at some time. It's interesting because I know of his Kentucky roots, his Illinois roots, Mm -hmm. and his Indiana roots, Mm -hmm. all three of which uh, are woven in strands. Right. Kentucky, of course, a a southern state. Yeah. But I had not heard about North Carolina. Yeah, I have to share that with you. Thomas, I know you. He and Howard Cosell both. (laughs) That's right. Howard Cosell was also born in North Carolina. (laughs) Really? Yes, he was. I did not know that. Lived here until he was two, I believe. I did not know that. 
Oh, yeah. So the first time I watched Lincoln was an assignment in high school from uh, my homeschool professor. Uh, and not everything from that professor was a worthwhile assignment, but <laughs> that one in particular was. Uh, that was really before I got into you know, understanding the art of filmmaking. But I still remember watching that very vividly and just the kind of imprint it made on me. And I was 15 years old at the time. And I usually gravitated more towards your blockbusters, your action films, that kind of things. But this is a two and a half hour biopic. Um, I was just completely blown away by Spielberg's ability to capture something so intimate and but so grand in scale in some aspects, and keep my you know keep my engagement and my attention for that long as someone who wasn't even uh, usually gravitating toward those types of films. When you can find a solid historical piece biopic that can hold attention for anyone. Uh, you know, Tom is a great example of somebody who was really drawn at that time toward more of the blockbusters and the ones that, you know, that were the, you know, everybody was going to see. To find a way to connect uh, and speak and, and, and maybe wake up the minds um, of those who are watching, that's, that's a testament to a lot of things. And I think this film, um, Lincoln, with, with Daniel Day-Lewis, Steven Spielberg, had great casting across the board. I thought the, the writing was really solid on this. It was ba based on great source material mm -hmm. uh, as well, but the production design, I mean, everything just brought you into that story and you felt uh, like you were part of that atmosphere. I, I should just say at this point that some epics and blockbusters are also film biographies, and they work on a huge scale. Um, Mission Impossible, for example, is about me. That's a little-known fact, but I, I'm, I broke that news here on <laughs> and, the show. And you, you actually, the stunts, I, the, 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 you did all those stunts before. In life, and then I taught them to Tom, <laughs> Tom Cruise. Cruise, that's correct. Yes. But, I mean, there are, there are wonderful biographies of people about Napoleon, for example who is a much larger than life figure, and yet you could tell a very personal story about him and make it interesting. Yeah. We yeah. also have a, a Napoleon feature coming out later this year from Ridley Scott, I believe, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon. I'm very curious because yeah. I don't see that casting. Yeah. I mean, it seems unlikely to me, but he's a good actor, yeah. and we shall see. Well, one of Thomas's favorite movies last year was Pinocchio because he likes animation. I'm <laughs> just, uh, just right. kidding. <laughs> but I know you. I know you've got a question about animation and an animated bi biopic. All right. Yeah, for, I don't want to. Listen, I love animated films most of the time, and I I have nothing against the medium. Uh, Dad's just doing a bit here. However. <laughs> There is a film on your list that is an animated biopic, and uh, I, from what I understand, it kind of opened your eyes to certain aspects and certain perspectives of uh, empathy that maybe you hadn't previously considered or have pr previously seen portrayed on film. So I'd love to have you share a little bit about uh, Persepolis. Well, Persepolis, which was nominated for um, an animation Oscar, uh, tells the story of Marjan Satrapi, who grew up in Iran during the turmoil surrounding the ejection of the Shah, the taking over the clerics, and the life change that that meant for young women especially in Iran. I, am, I do love animation, and I'm a believer that it can tell any kind of story. It can tell a warm and fuzzy, cute story. It can tell a meaningful, touching, sad story. And in this case, it made me think about women's lives in Iran in a way that I simply hadn't. Uh, she had gone from a relatively free existence to one that suddenly 
with her family shut down a lot of possibilities for her. She had to get out of Iran to explore her own life, which ended up being her life as a filmmaker. Um, and I thought to myself, okay, this is just one of millions of young women in Iran, but because they are voiceless, she will tell their story. And the reason she wanted to tell it as animation, this is my understanding from an interview, I've never spoken to her, is that she felt maybe it would be less in your face that possibly Iranian authorities might allow it more leeway as for exhibition, but also that it would reach younger people who might be interested in animation as a form and want to see her story told that way, but wouldn't necessarily want to see it told as a conventional biography. So these were all reasons for her to animate. And it came from a graphic novel she had written, or co-written, I think. And animation really served that. And you forgot, you, you didn't sit there after the first couple of minutes going, oh, it's a cartoon about Iran. You went into it right away saying, oh, it's a story about a girl and what's going to happen to her? Why is her family uncomfortable with her? And uh, I was caught up from, it, from the very beginning. I like that it showed that animation can be used for anything, but it also might reach some people who are open to that as a medium, just as people are open to graphic novels as a medium, but maybe don't read novels, for an interesting story. So yes, I'm very fond of that. I love how animation can do that, but also science fiction has had a long history of being able to tell stories relating to society, politics, culture wars, that they could get away with. When you were talking about how uh, they could probably get away with it because it was animation, sci-fi has been able to do that for years as well. And, and all the way back to the 50s. Mm -hmm. And people took it to be an exciting story about monsters, but the real implication was, why am I telling you a story about monsters? There may be monsters here right. to confront yeah. that these monsters represent. Yeah. You're watching Meet Me at the Movies uh, right here on C19 TV. And if you're listening to the radio uh, version, WGWG uh, and WGWG.org as well. Uh, Thomas Manning uh, joining us along with uh, Lawrence Topman. We appreciate you spending time with us. Greg Tillman uh, back there on the Tim Cam uh, and uh, for, for almost, I guess, the last time on the Tim Cam. So we're not going to see him anymore unless we uh, recruit him. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a quick intermission uh, and we'll be back with more. Uh, biopics uh, with uh, with Lawrence Toppin right here on Meet Me at the Movies.
Welcome back to Meet Me in the Movies, Noel T. Manning II, along with uh, Thomas Manning uh, to my left. And uh, back there on the Tim Cam, we've got uh, Mr. Greg Tillman, uh, that's right, uh, and uh, Sir, Sir Greg Tillman, we're going to knight you. Uh, the king, uh, king let me know I can knight you, so Sir Greg Tillman, uh, thanks for all your service. Uh, Larry Topman uh, over here, our guest, talking about biopics, uh, or as we say uh, in um, Joplin, Missouri, biopics. Uh, good to have you. Thanks for sharing uh, some, um, some of your love of this genre with us and giving us a little bit of an education that Thomas and I never really thought about, these, these subcategories. Uh, Thomas, I, I know that the next one we're going to dive in is connected to somebody you really appreciate as well as far as an acting talent. Right. Well, during the break, we were having a great conversation about uh, the late Chadwick Boseman and his incredible string of films throughout the 2010s. And specifically, he had multiple biopics and uh, within that run, uh, including 42, the Jackie Robinson story. And I know there's another one from uh, 2014 that you want to mention, which is uh, the James Brown story, Get On Up. So love to have you dive a little bit into your appreciation for Chadwick and his legacy and uh, the projects he attached himself to. And maybe a little bit for that love of ow. <laughs> that's it. Okay. That's it. You know, if we'd done this in 2014, I could maybe still have done a split and come up off the floor like James Brown, but that's all I can muster as an impersonation. Um, the, we talked about this a little bit of, at the break, about the difference, for me at least, between this and Ray with Jamie Foxx, wonderful performance. Uh, when I see Ray, Jamie Foxx is impersonating Ray Charles. He understands the walk, the head movements, how to play the piano how a blind man might negotiate through a room or interact with people. When I see Get On Up, where Chadwick Boseman, one of my all-time favorite actors, played James Brown, I feel like he is inhabiting James Brown. That every thought he has, that every sound he makes, that every reaction he has is all coming from within. He's not impersonating, he's inhabiting. Um, he was a tremendous actor, much missed. And the thing about James Brown is there's, there's multiple ways to look at him. One is amazing father of modern soul funk. Another is crazy recluse who lived on his farm in South Carolina near the Georgia border and was arrested and hassled about his relationships with women. Uh, but the third is someone who fundamentally, and this is what the movie brought out for me, was lonely, never quite understood how to interact with people and as a result tended to try to dominate them and had a great personality musically but a not great personality as a human being and frankly had I think probably I'm no psychiatrist but certainly some some issues uh, mentally and that's something that to me a great actor can give you from inside and that you know I I've seen James Brown perform I have read about James Brown. I own James Brown recordings. All of a sudden, James Brown was real to me when I saw Get On Up yeah. in a way that he hadn't been before, and he was more complex to me, and I had more empathy for him. Yeah, I think we're, we're drawn to stories of brokenness because ultimately we're all broken. In, in some way or another. Well, I, I'm perfect, but I understand that. <laughs> We're all broken except for Larry. <laughs> I'm chipped. I, I'm a little chipped, I think. But I think that's what allows us to connect because we see 
the personas that are on stage, whether it's you know, a celebrity or whether it's a, a singer like Taylor Swift uh, that Thomas got a chance to see in Nashville recently, but, but to understand that they experience the same type of emotions that we, that we do. They are lonely at times, sometimes even more lonely, even though we see them surrounded by people. It's not the people that can give them fulfillment. And, and I think this did speak to that. Well, and it's interesting because when you read about James Brown's troubles in the media, you were just easy to dismiss it and go, oh, that guy's crazy. Or, well, I guess if you're rich, you can afford to be nuts. Yeah. But we didn't stop, at least I didn't, to ask myself, what's going on with that guy? I mean, something put him there. He didn't start out that way. I, I didn't even know that I wanted to know more right. until I saw the film, yeah. and I did. Yeah. Which is what's great about film biographies. You yes. don't always know you want to know the person, yep. and then you do. Yeah. Well, speaking about another artist who was tortured, uh, we're going to dive into your last double feature right. uh, that, that truly is an artist that uh, everybody uh, everybody knows, even uh, Jake Yellenhall will, will know this, this particular artist as well. Um, I'm going to honor my brother-in-law's pronunciation of Vincent van Hoch. I hope I'm getting that right. He's from Dutch extraction, and he would know. Um, <laughs> we're back to animation on this uh, for one of the two. There are multiple films about him, Lust for Life uh, with, with Kirk Douglas, giving a very bravura performance, and Theo with Tim Roth as his brother. But these two that I love are Etern At Eternity's Gate with Willem Dafoe and Loving Vincent. Uh, briefly, at Eternity's Gate, which was shot by Julian Schnabel, an artist, is to me interesting because it tries so hard to get inside his skull and show you not just what he was thinking, but how he saw the world. How did he look at, the, we see through his eyes and we see why he painted what he painted, mm -hmm. why he chose the subjects, why he chose the colors, why he chose the shapes. Yeah. The world to him somehow looked that way and watching At Eternity's Gate in maybe what is Willem Dafoe's best performance ever, and I'm a big fan of Willem yeah, Dafoe, yeah. is just breathtaking. I don't know that the film is great, but he's great, right. and it's a great way of understanding what an artist does. Loving Vincent, to me, is an extraordinarily beautiful film. I paid full price for it, which I almost never do for moving some too cheap. <laughs> and it's an animated film that tells of Van Gogh, there we go, I'm not coughing, and explains it in terms of his paintings. The entire movie looks like animation of his paintings. Yes. It's an exact, well, exact, it's a faithful replica of paintings he made, and the characters in the paintings he made, and the settings in the paintings he made, come to life and tell his story. Yeah. In, in the movie, he has died, and a woman is trying to find out what was the real Vincent like? You knew him, you people that he painted. Let's go to the places that he painted. And aside from being visually maybe the most beautiful animated film I have mm. ever seen, and believe me, I have seen Scadillions. I was so touched I covered the mic. Um, <laughs> I feel like that has a lot to say about who he was, what was going on in yeah. his brain. And don't, isn't that what you want to know about an artist? Not like, oh, he, he had a breakup with his girlfriend, so he painted this. Yeah. Or he couldn't get a job, and he painted that. I want to know what was going on behind his eyes. Yeah. What was going on in his turbulent, and in the case of this artist, often frequently unhappy, yeah. thoughts. Get at his guts 
not at his exterior and his accomplishments. And that movie, those two movies both, yeah. do that very beautifully. And a friend of mine who saw At Eternity's Gate said, I don't think I'd ever seen a painting of his, and all of a sudden I cared. Wow. What better tribute wow. can you give a movie? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the animation, I remember when it came out, when they were pushing uh, Loving Vincent and trying to get it in front of the eyes of, uh, of critics and those who could talk about it. I was blown away. I'd never seen anything done quite like that before uh, in that type of format. And uh, it, it really did rake in the awards during award season. And it's one of those that I wish more people would see because it's, it did, you know, did not have the, the name Pixar or Disney attached to it right. uh, or Sony Animation or any of these animation studios that would get it in front of people. And it was a different type of film as, as, as you've, you've talked about. But if you, if you wanna watch a film just for the beauty of seeing art come to life, motion the, art come to life. The technical aspects of making paintings move, yeah. so to speak, fascinated me. Uh, they were very complicated. In fact, after I read about them, I didn't quite understand them. <laughs> that's okay. Movies can be a mystery. And for me, that, that's Lenyap. I mean, it's great that it yeah. has cool technical aspects. Yeah. But just the stunning visuals. I just sat there through the whole film like this yeah. because I couldn't take my eyes off. Yes. Um, you know, I, biographies tend... Back in the day, they lionized people. There would be in the golden years of Hollywood, you know, let's do a movie about Pasteur, let's do a movie about so-and-so, and let's show they were so great, and they struggled, but they were wise and wonderful. That kind of biography, not super interesting. I mean, I don't want something that just puts you on a pedestal and then buffs you and shines you up. But movies that show people in all their complexity, good and bad, I don't yeah. want just attacks on people, and show them happy, suffering, confused, thoughtful, working out their problems, solving their problems, those are fascinating. I never get yeah. tired of those. Yeah. Thomas, any final thoughts or questions before we wrap things up? Oh, uh, yeah. Since you mentioned two animated biopics, uh, Persepolis as well as Loving Vincent, how would you say that um, animation kind of differentiated itself between these two projects and aided the storytelling in different ways between these two? Well, remember the first one tries to literally recapture a graphic novel, and it looks like, speaking of still images that move, it looks like a graphic novel on its feet. The characters are a little jerky. They're line drawn. They're pretty simple. They have emotions uh, with their little tiny mouths and eyes, but they are not really, they're a little bit more symbolic and less literal because they don't look like people. You could meet Marjan Satrapi and, and not have the first clue that she was that woman who was vaguely like her in Persepolis. Um, and that's fine. It, it was targeted at an audience that probably were graphic novel readers, which, which includes me. Mm -hmm. um, Vincent, Loving Vincent attempted, it literally loved Vincent. It tried to make you love Vincent. Yeah. Um, that was meant to awe you. It wasn't simple. It wasn't down to earth. It wasn't from an uncomplicated source. It said, this is a tremendously complex man. He made tremendously complex art let us give you visually a tremendously complex experience. I've seen it three times, 
and this is a cliche, you know, oh, every time I watch it, I see something new. But you do, because the paintings are so detailed that when they're on screen, now that I don't have to listen to the dialogue much anymore, <laughs> I'm just going, wow, oh, that red is just like that red, or wow. the, that looks like Starry Night. I've seen Starry Night uh, in, in New York at the Museum of Modern Art. It's one of the most amazing live experiences I've ever had in a museum. And this looks just like it. Yeah. And it's deep, it's visually deep and complicated. So for me, seeing that is like the antithesis of the simplicity and directness of Persepolis. Yeah. And they both work on their own levels. Yeah. Larry Topman has been our guest, and I tell you, it's been a joy to have you back. I've, I've always enjoyed the dialogue that you and I have been able to have over the years and just, just talk film and just talk life. And I'm just so thankful that you got a chance to come back and, and be a guest here on our show. So thanks for being here. It, it is my pleasure, and I'm glad the people in Joplin got to see my beard again. <laughs> I'm sorry it's not longer. <laughs> Thomas Manning, as always, we appreciate you. And, uh, and Greg Tillman, for the uh, final time uh, back there on the Tim Cam, you're appreciated, man. Uh, it, it's been a, a, a gift uh, and an honor to work with you throughout these years, and, and we go back decades, and I just... Uh, Thank you. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given me. So speak for yourself there. <laughs> speak for yourself. I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I uh, For questions and comments, always email us info at c19.tv. Uh, and until next time, for the entire cast and crew here at Meet Me in the Movies, that's a wrap. <laughs>